As I began, I, I just wondering something. Have you ever noticed that at times it's hard to distinguish real items from fake items? Y'all ever noticed that? I brought a few examples and they'll be up on the screen. If you look at these items side by side, uh, they're kind of hard to tell a difference. Now, this first one's the easiest one. These are Ugg boots. Some of you all recognize the, the original one's on the right and the fake ones are on the left. This is easiest because the difference is one has one button and the other has three. Now, if you look at the next, next one, though, these Beat headphones, when you look at those, I mean, they look exactly identical. The only difference in those two, if you are looking at them, is the one on the right. You'll notice it doesn't have the Beats logo on that little area of that circle. The only difference. And so if you didn't see that little detail, you wouldn't be able to tell the original from the fake. When it looks at Timberland boots, if you look at these, I mean, they, again, they look identical. But you have to look at the very little detail. And the little detail is the little logo on the side. Uh, the one on the original is just kind of stamped. And the other one is just a shiny emblem that's on the side of the boot. Other than that, they look identical. Even with the Michael Kors stuff, when you look at that, the only difference in this is in the logo on the right, there's a line that goes through the center. And there's no line in the logo on the left. How do you tell the difference? It's hard to. The only way to tell the difference in many of these things from the original to the fake is you have to look at the little details. Now, for me, I don't know. There's, I've found people in life, there's sometimes that people like the fake stuff. You ever notice that? I mean, I'm pretty cheap myself. I don't like to spend a lot of money. So when it comes to things, if there's something out there that fakes, that's just as good as the original, I'm all for that because I don't like to spend money, right? Anybody in that camp with me? Um, I'm a cheapskate, okay? I really am. And so I, that's, that's how I am. However, you have to be careful because when it comes to what you believe in or what you base your future on or what you base your hope on, you'd better make sure that what you have is real. A faith that is fake will get you nowhere and do you no good. A faith that is real, though, will change your life. Therefore, a real Savior is what you need, not a cheap imitation. Like last week, we began our series entitled 2020, A Vision of Jesus. And we are, what we're doing is looking at the Gospel of Luke. Luke being one of the four books of the Bible that contains the events of the life of Jesus when he walked upon the earth. We saw last week that Luke wrote with the intent of making sure that believers could have a certainty about what they have been taught. In other words, that they could know that Jesus was the real thing and that a faith in him is worth it. We also noted Luke as a physician was into details. He was used to careful observation and an orderly approach to things. And because of his approach at things, there are times that he gives details that the other gospel writers didn't. And what we'll see today is that some of these details truly help point you to the truth of who Jesus is and show you he's not fake, but he is indeed the real deal. Now, I hope you've turned to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 21 this morning, and this is one of those places that Luke gives extra detail. Starting in verse 21, uh, these, uh, in verses after, we see the only recording that we have of Jesus's infancy and early childhood. None of the other gospels record anything about the boy, Jesus. They basically all start that when Jesus begins his call of earthly ministry. As we look at these details of Jesus's early years, we will discover how they reaffirm for us the truth of who Jesus is and that he is worthy of our faith in him. Reading what Luke records, here's what we're going to first find. We're going to find this, that God provides. Chapter 2 records, again, the birth of Jesus that we often look at at Christmas time. But then verse 20 speaks about how after the shepherds left and they were praising God for all that they had seen, they were glorifying God. We get to verse 21, and we read about what the parents did shortly after Jesus' birth. 
And here's what it says. And it says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, in reality, for most of us, if we're just kind of reading through the text ourselves, we're going to quickly read over these verses. They would seem to us like meaningless details showing what we see as empty ritual. However, let me remind you, there is great importance in these details. First, we see that Mary and Joseph named their baby Jesus. We, again, may not think much about that because Jesus' name has become so common for us. But let's consider what was so significant here about Mary and Joseph naming their child Jesus. It was the fact that an angel had told them to name him Jesus. I mean, maybe they had their list of names that they would like to have named their son. Maybe they had their family names that they would have rather picked. For example, in my family, the name James is one that is a tradition to pass on. My first name is actually not Scott. My first name is James because my father's first name is James and my grandfather is also James. And so there's this name that they've passed down through the generations. So maybe for Mary and Joseph, they would have had their own name they would like to have picked for their son. Maybe they would have liked to name him Jeremiah after the great prophet or maybe even Isaiah. Maybe they would have liked to name him David after the great king David. Maybe they would have had some of those names or maybe Joseph II, who knows? They could have had any of their preferences, but they didn't choose any of those. Instead, Mary and Joseph demonstrated obedience to the angel and more specifically to God in that they named the baby Jesus. Now, on top of that, we read where they not only named him on the eighth day, but had him circumcised and after the appropriate time, took him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord and offered up a sacrifice of purification. When we read this, again, we don't pay much attention to what is happening here, But what is happening is that Joseph and Mary are being obedient to the law of Moses as recorded in Leviticus 12. For time's sake, I will not read that this morning, but you go back later and read and find what God had required after the birth of the firstborn son, among other things. We can see by what Mary and Joseph offered, they were obviously poor because their offering was of two turtle doves or pigeons. Though they thought this detail somewhat, or or though I look at this detail somewhat interesting, it does remind me when Jesus stepped in the world, he entered into poverty. But the most important thing I wanted to see is that Mary and Joseph were obedient in every way to what God had required in the law. In fact, later in verse 39, it says this about Mary and Joseph. It says, and when they had performed, look at this, everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, here's the key word. The key word is everything. They had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Now, you might ask, well, what does this have to do with the Lord providing? And I will say it reminds us in one sense that God provided godly parents for Jesus. These parents raised Jesus from the very beginning to be obedient to God the Father. And before he had even understanding as a person, Jesus was being obedient to the Father because his earthly parents were setting the stage. And to me, this is a reminder for all of you who are parents that you are playing a role in your children's future. And you must ask, what role are you playing? Are you pointing your children towards the will of God or are you pointing them away from God? Your action as a parent can lay a positive foundation or a negative one when it comes to following the Lord, but you can be assured of this, you are playing a role. 
Now, another thing I want us to see here, though, is that Mary and Joseph most likely did not even understand how big a role they were playing, not only in Jesus's life, but in God's overall plan for mankind. But as they were obedient to God, they were being a part of God providing for us a perfect sacrifice. In Matthew 5, Jesus said this. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to, I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. In, 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 if you were, if, listen, if in order to be right with God, we have to completely keep the law, let's understand something. We are all in trouble because we all fall at some point, Right? However, Jesus came to do something that we could not do. He came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. He completely obeyed the law. Part of the law requires a sacrifice for sin, and truly only a perfect sacrifice will do. And again, our problem is we are not perfect. We cannot be a sacrifice for ourselves, or we cannot even offer up a perfect sacrifice. Our flesh makes it impossible for us to completely do God's will. And in Romans 8, though, here's what it says. Look at what it says. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, catch this. God sent Jesus to do what we could not do so that he could fill the righteous requirements of the law in order that by one's faith in Jesus, by the Spirit, one could be declared righteous by the work of Jesus Christ. In other words, we could be declared perfect by what Jesus has done for us. And you see, when God placed Jesus with Mary and Joseph, he knew he was placing them in the hands of those who would do what the law required so that when Jesus grew up and himself continued to obey the Father perfectly, he could then be the perfect sacrifice for sin, having completely fulfilled the law. And I hope you get that. In that, he became your hope of forgiveness before God. You catch that? See, Mary and Joseph were not perfect. And I want you to get that impression. But they were obedient in many ways, and their obedience helped the stage for what God was accomplishing, for what God was providing. Now, let me just end this point by reminding you of this, that you should be obedient. Sometimes you might think to yourself, well, what does it matter what I do? What does it matter if I do what God wants? Well, the reality is your obedience may be playing a bigger role than you can ever imagine. I know for me, I seek every week. Here's my go every week. Every week, I want to be obedient to the Word of God. I want to be obedient to preach what God wants me to preach. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there are times when I think to myself, well, what does it matter? Many times it seems like what I say and do, it doesn't matter. Many times it seems like, well, nobody's even listening. So why does it really matter what I do? But then occasionally I get a reminder for someone who says something like this. I still remember that time you preached. And then they go on to share something I said that made a difference in their life. I wasn't aware of the difference in the moment, but the obedience made a difference. And I want to assure everyone here this morning that your obedience does make a difference. It is positive for your life, but at the same time, you may not even understand how important it is in the life of another or how important it is to God's plan being fulfilled in this world. 
In fact, you may never even realize the importance of what you do. But let me challenge you to be obedient because God desires your obedience more than your sacrifice, more than anything you could bring to him, more than you could ever put in an offering plate. I'm here to tell you, God desires your obedience. And hear me, God may very well be providing through your obedience. Now, as we continue to look at the detail, though, we can also see not only does God provide, God also fulfills. As Mary and Joseph were being obedient, took Jesus to the temple, we were introduced to two other people that we only read about in the Gospel of Luke. The first person is Simeon. Let's read about his encounter with the baby Jesus. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, when we look at Simeon, he is described as a righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I'm struck by this because if you know your Bible, you know something. You know that from Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, until we get to the New Testament, there is a period of 400 years. And what scholars have observed about this 400 years period is that it appeared that God had gone silent among his people. There was no recognized prophet in Israel who spoke the word of God. No one who stood up and said, thus said the Lord. And so it appeared for 400 years that God was silent. However, what we must not conclude is that God had stopped working. In fact, God has always had people in every period of time who loved him, who he was used for his purpose. Here we see in time when, when many describe God as being silent, that his spirit was at least on some. And one of those people was Simeon. The Holy Spirit had even revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he was to see the Lord's Christ. And when the scripture said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, just know that this is a common expression in the book of Isaiah that refers to the Messiah. So Simeon had been promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. Now, we have every reason to believe that when these events happened in Luke chapter 2, that Simeon was well advanced in years. He'd been waiting for a long time for God's promises to come to pass, even to the point that when he sees Jesus, he states that the Lord was now letting him depart in peace. Here's how, what you get this feeling. You get this feeling that, that Simeon really is almost at the point of death, and he's just kind of holding on to life because God had given him this promise. He's going to see his, the Christ, and so Simeon didn't want to die until he saw the Christ. And so once he saw Jesus, what did he say? Oh, Lord, now you're letting me depart in peace, or God, you're going to let me die now because I have seen what you have promised come to be. Now, with that statement, though, Simeon reminds us that God fulfills his promise to us individually. God had made a promise to Simeon, and he kept it. Simeon's experience may not mean much to you since maybe you haven't had an experience where you felt like the Holy Spirit made a special promise to you, but you need to know that even in the Scriptures, God had made, has made many promises that apply to each of us. 
And if you study your scripture, you're going to find many promises, such as he promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised that if you confess your sin, he will forgive you. He has made a promise that his grace will be sufficient for you no matter what you face. He has made the promise that if you will cast your anxiety on him, he will give you peace. And because God is a God who fulfills his promises to individuals like Simeon, you can be sure that if you find a promise in the scripture that is a personal promise, then God will fulfill it. He will come through. But now let's also see the more more important thing, that God was filling the promise for all his people. Look at Simeon's words again. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for salvation, revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, folks, if, if you haven't already to this point in Luke figured out that there's something special about Jesus, here's where things get really specific. What comes through clear from Simeon's word is that Jesus is God's salvation, that Jesus is the one through whom there's the hope of being saved. Some, especially in Simeon's time, may, may have misunderstood what God's salvation was all about. But what is clear now as we read the scriptures and will be clear when we get through Luke is that the salvation that Jesus brings is a salvation of the soul. It is one that brings hope when one has failed. It is a salvation that brings freedom from the control of sin and gives one the ability to live for God. It is a salvation that frees one from Satan's bondage. In fact, let me take a moment just to acknowledge that we often even do not realize how much we are in a battle and how much we even battle against Satan, especially his lies. Many here this morning are struggling with Satan lies, lies that tell you you're not good enough. They say that you have failed too greatly, lies that say that you are beyond hope. I want you to know today that if you look to Jesus, there is salvation from those lies. Jesus has come to set you free from Satan's lies and to give a hope as you walk in the truth of God. This even points to the next thing that Simeon reminds us about Jesus, which is that he is light. He is the one who's come to reveal things as they really are. And when we see things as they really are, it allows God to shine his perfect light that gives correction when needed, gives direction to your way always. And above all, it reveals his love for you. Then Jesus is also glory to God's people. The idea of glory here points us back to the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. And here's what it's meant to see when Simeon talked about him being the glory of God to his people, Israel. You need to understand here's what he was saying, okay? That Jesus wasn't just any man. He was the God man. He was God come in flesh to redeem his people, to reveal to us the glory of God. God in flesh who came to reveal God's salvation to this world. You see, Simeon's words to Mary specifically even point to the reality of Jesus's ministry. Look at them again. Instead of Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, these words can remind us that not everyone receives the truth of Jesus. Some rise on Jesus and some fall on Jesus. Most definitely this, many oppose him. In fact, let me, you can do this, all right? You can try this because experience will tell you this is true. There is nothing that can start a controversial greater than when you mention the name of Jesus. Go out in some crowds and mention the name of Jesus. It's almost like them. They're ready to fight you, all right? Because, listen, some rise and they fall on the name of Jesus. He is definitely to be opposed. And Simeon then pointed Mary to the reality that Jesus' ministry would even include suffering as her own soul would be pierced. 
as she would have to watch Jesus suffer and die on the cross. You see, but the most interesting part to me and the part that we often struggle with is the fact that what Jesus does is reveal the thoughts of our hearts. And many times, isn't that what we want to hide today, the thoughts of our hearts? We don't want God to know what we're really thinking in our heart, but let me give you some good news today. If Jesus reveals the thoughts of your heart, he is doing that to give you hope because if he is revealing something in your heart that's not right or something that is impure, he is doing that because what he wants to do is give you a new heart that beats for God and a heart that is pure before him. And I'm here to tell you that is a very good thing. I'm glad that Luke gave us the detail of this encounter with Simeon because it shows us so many great truths about Jesus. Simeon wasn't the only one at the temple that day. There was another. Look back at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming at at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, this short encounter with Anna in many ways just confirms what we see with Simeon. It was Luke reminding us that there were many witnesses and people that attested to the truth of Jesus. Here was a prophetess named Anna reminding us once again that God, though he seemed silent for 400 years, he was still at work and speaking through people, right? Even here, this prophetess Anna. We also see in Anna a person with an extraordinary devotion to God. There is some discrepancy in exactly how to interpret things here. You can even look in your footnote. If you have, uh, you know, most of your Bibles there in the footnote, note this, that when the interpretation of that she was a widow until she was 84, some say the translation should be she was actually a widow for 84 years. It's a long time, right? Either way, whichever the case, here was a woman who had been a widow for a minimum of 60 years, most likely, or maybe a widow for 84 years, but she'd given her life and devotion to God, and she was waiting to see the Messiah, hoping and praying to see the Messiah. A woman who God led at the very hour that Jesus happened to be coming to the temple. Not a coincidence, do you think? No. At that very hour that Jesus happened to be coming there to herself, and she began to go up and speaking to everyone who was there, and says she spoke to everyone who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, what she was doing was, God has revealed to me that this Jesus is the Messiah, and I want the world to know here is God's salvation. Here is the one that he has sent into the world. It was another affirmation of who Jesus was. Now, as we consider both of these encounters It is clear that through them, God is proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. If you haven't recognized that truth, then you need to do so today. But also through these two, God is reminding you of this, that you should trust and be patient. In both cases with Simeon and Anna, they had been serving God faithfully for years, hoping to see the Messiah, or as in Simeon's case, as he was promised to see the Messiah before he died. But in both cases, I bet they were having their doubts. Again, Simeon, by his words, must have been thinking death was close for him. And again, was 85 years of age at minimum, maybe over 100 years of old. They they both probably at times had doubts. Am I going to die before I see the Messiah? They both clearly, though, they trusted in God. They believed his promises and his word. And with that, listen, we have to remember for us, we have to be patient, even for years if necessary, to wait for God's will to come true and for what he say to happen. They waited patiently and it came true. God proved in time to be faithful. And I want to point this out because, again, there are some of you today that are waiting for God to come through. You're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. 
or you're waiting for things to get better as you believe they will. Just know this. If what you're hoping for is based on a promise from God, he will come through. Continue to trust and to be patient for God will fulfill his promises. It might be peace in the midst of the storm. It might be strength to endure. It might be the healing you want. How the promise is fulfilled will vary based upon the circumstances and what God is doing, but he will come through. In fact, for every believer today, here is something that we all can count on, that one day Jesus is coming again and he is gonna make everything right. And it may not be in our lifetime, but when you can trust that that day is coming and knowing that God is still actively working in the world, it can give you strength as you endure the difficulty that you are facing in your time today. The detail of Simeon and Anna's life attests to the truth of this, that God does fulfill. You can trust him and you can believe in him. Be patient. Now, after we see this encounter with Simeon and Anna in the temple, in a matter of one verse, 12 years pass. But then we see another visit to the temple shared with us. This time, Jesus is 12 years old. His parents continued every year to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And this particular year, after the celebration was over, Mary and Joseph headed home, and without knowing it, they had left without Jesus. Now, listen, don't let that throw you off. Some of you are going to say, well, how in the world could parents leave without their son, right? Just know this, in Jesus' day and time, when they would travel from city to city, they would travel as an entourage. They would travel with many of their relatives. They would travel with many of their acquaintances. And so it was not unusual for a child not to be exactly with their parents. They would be with the entourage, traveling with maybe another relative or a friend. So don't let that throw you off, okay? But sometime on the way home, Mary and Joseph realized something. Jesus is not with us. He's not with any of our family. He's not with any of our friends. And so they make it back or they make their way back to Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph again made it there, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see when they make it back, they show us that Jesus demonstrates. Let's read, and then I'm going to explain. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, first, folks, Jesus demonstrates who he was. I hope you notice that when Jesus was in the temple at 12, speaking to the teachers there, he was speaking to the ones who were the experts in the scriptures, the ones who were experts in the teachings of God. All these experts were amazed at Jesus. They were amazed at his understanding and his teaching. And if you haven't already know this, as Jesus continues to grow and later when he teaches throughout his ministry, you know what people continue to say about him? He teaches like no other. They continue to be amazed. Now, why is that? Because Jesus was demonstrating already at 12 that he was God in the flesh. You see, he had understanding and answers like no others because, hear me, he was the one who had really written those scriptures. 
Really, we are, he is what John stated in, in his gospel where he said, he was the word of God became flesh. He was the very word of God in flesh. So trust me, he knew the written word better than any other. He had understanding and answers like no other because he was the source of those truths. Even remember this, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not like suddenly at Jesus, at Jesus at 33 years of age wakes up one day and said, oh, I'm special. It's not like he woke up at 33 and says, oh, I, I got a special calling. I got a special ministry. No, let me go ahead and tell you something about Jesus. The scripture said he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. At 12, he was already God in the flesh, walking, growing, being human 100%, but being God 100%, all right? He was the same. He always was. And Jesus there in the temple was demonstrating who he was, that he was God in flesh. Not only that, but Jesus was also demonstrating the priority of worshiping God the Father. I almost want to chuckle when I see this exchange he has with Mary and Joseph when he looks at Mary and says, well, well, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I'd be in my father's house? Now, I don't think Jesus was being sarcastic in that moment, but I'm sarcastic. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to read that as Jesus looking back at his mother and said, well, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? I just don't think Jesus probably had that much attitude. Do you? Probably not. He probably said it very respectful. But what should be clear to us is this is that Jesus demonstrated the priority that worshiping God and following God should be a natural part of our lives. On top of that, Jesus then demonstrates submission. Look at verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was what? Submissive to them. Again, a little detail that we might want to just breeze by, but it's not insignificant that at this phase of his life, Jesus submitted to his earthly parents. It is important for children to obey their parents, right? So Jesus even demonstrated that, all right? Jesus did, even though in this case, hear me, he was actually their Lord. In this moment, he submitted as their son. But he submitted in this moment above all because who is he really being submissive to? God the Father, the will of the Father. And a verse that highlights his submissiveness and his obedience was, is one that's most often quoted in Philippians 2 where it reads, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But of course, this was for the purpose of saving you and I. And his obedience concluded with a great ending because the scripture goes on to say that as a result of his submission to the will of the Father, that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. That should even make a Baptist shout, right? Again, it is this little detail that we see about Jesus that points us to the truth of who he is. But let me in this moment remind you of this, because you should learn in these details about Jesus that you should follow his example. Think about this. Your life should demonstrate who you are. If you are a believer, the way you live should demonstrate you are a believer. Obviously this, you're not Jesus. You're not perfect, right? Mary and Joseph were not perfect, but even they demonstrated their faith in God. People should look at your life and say, that is what a believer looks like because your life demonstrates what a believer is. You also should have a life that ultimately demonstrates that following, worshiping God is a priority. In fact, when Sunday mornings come, people should say this about you. I know where they are. 
there at church because it's a priority. Not a lot of amens there. <laughs> when people are in need of prayer, they should say, I know who I can ask to pray because they understand the importance of prayer and worshiping God. Your life should shout worshiping and following God is a priority, which ultimately leads to a life that is submissive to the will of God. And that submission should come because, as the details of Luke gospel shows, that God is providing, that he is fulfilling, and he has demonstrated what your response should be. You see, I hope today you look at these details and say, it is clear who Jesus is and what he wants from you. You may have come here this morning lost or hurting or confused, but know that there is a God who has provided for your every need, and he is desiring your obedience this morning. An obedience that starts by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came to die for you and demonstrated his love, but for ultimately to pay the price for your sin. He wants you to place your faith in him and to be obedient to baptism and ultimately be obedient with your life. And you should do this because you can be assured that he has fulfilled what he has promised. For those who give their life to him, that includes forgiving you and giving you eternal life. And here's what I love. I love the fact that God invites us to this relationship and then didn't just give us a list of rules to follow or things to do, but instead, this is what he did. He demonstrated what it means to live for him, all right? And then on top of that, you know what he did? He gave us himself to come and live in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's the God that we serve. I hope today that you will come and follow Jesus' examples this morning in every way. And if you don't know enough yet, say, well, I don't know enough yet about Jesus. Well, this is what I would say. Keep coming back because in the weeks ahead, we will continue to learn what Jesus did and taught. And it will be clear what he deserves and what he desires. And you see, we're going to move to a time of invitation this morning. And I want to ask you today, are you ready to be obedient to God? You can be assured today that when Jesus came, he came to show us that God provides. He's already provided for you in many ways. Maybe even some of you just need to come and say, God, thank you for all the things you provided. And if you'll stop and count your blessings, you just say he's provided much for you, right? But most importantly, you need to know he provided for you a savior because he fulfills his promises. And years ago, he told us a savior would come and Jesus came to fulfill that promise. And you can know because he has done that. Listen, he's gonna fulfill every promise he's ever made in the scriptures to you. Hold on to that, all right? You today just need to be patient and, and trust. But let me ask you today, as he set the example, are you ready to set the example as well in life? Are you ready to follow after his? Today, does your life, if you're a believer, does it show that you're a believer? Do people look at you and say, oh, his life, her life demonstrates who he is, who she is? Can people see that in you? Do they see that worshiping is a priority for you and that following God is a priority for you? If not, I hope so. Today it will. All right, because again, today, as we look at those things, listen, God wants us above all to be submissive to his will. And I pray today, if God's calling you to anything, that the day you would say, yes, Father, I'm ready to follow you. Because your submission will bless your life, I'm here to tell you. But you also don't know whether lives will be blessed. As you say, Father, I submit to you today. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, we bow in your presence this morning. Again, we just thank you for Luke and the details that he has given us. Even these details of the childhood of Jesus that in many ways have details that we would have this tendency to overlook, but Father, details that shout loudly, first of all, who Jesus is, and then Father, shout to us who you want us to be. And so Father, as we looked at these details today, Lord, I pray that you've spoken to hearts. I pray that you'll continue to speak to hearts. Even as we come to this invitation, Father, that your spirit would move. And Father, if you're calling anyone today for a decision of any kind, 
Or Father, there's something you're wanting somebody to, to, to leave here and do, Father, that they would be willing to be submissive to you and obedient to you. Knowing, Father, there's a great blessing in that today. I thank you, Father, above all, that you have died for our sin. And God, if these moments there's one who doesn't know you, I pray they'd give their heart and life to you. Because, Father, ultimately, know that's where all the rest of this begins as we trust by faith in Jesus, the one who came to die for us, that one who fulfilled your law perfectly, God, the one who became that perfect sacrifice. So, Father, even as we come to this invitation, it's him we're worshiping, it's him we're praising. Just continue to speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.